You know, uh, one of the many great things about the Bible is that it is uh, an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> and uh, I really think that we should expect on some level that if the Bible really is what it claims to be, uh, the words of God, uh, words that capture and convey for us uh, a good and right picture of his character, that we should expect it to push our buttons sometimes. Uh, it would be concerning if it didn't do that. Uh, it would be more likely that I'm just looking at a reflection of myself. Uh, and so uh, sometimes the Bible does push our buttons a little bit, as it may this morning. We're continuing our sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a very gritty, practical book uh, of wisdom for life. Our passage begins in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. For he who loves wealth with his income, this is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And he came from his mother's womb. He shall go again naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what his gain is there, and what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, and much vexation, and sickness, and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For if it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place 
All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Nathaniel. Thank you. All right. We're at the heart of Ecclesiastes, right in the center of it. A remarkable, a remarkable passage, a little bit lengthy. Won't be able to cover all the aspects of it. Uh, again, I want to welcome all of you to our worship service and uh, hope you enjoy some time afterwards to get to know each other after the service. Um, when I do uh, premarital counseling, um, it's a little bit hard to figure out how to cover all the subjects that need to be uh, covered. And um, you can't really fully know or grasp where these folks are coming from. Uh, you know you got them in a room together, and you know there are little hearts that are floating above their heads. And they're very, very excited about getting married, which is good. And um, I use a, a word that, uh, actually Joel picked up on this, one of my favorite words. I use this word called trajectory. And uh, the word uh, is used in this context that I sort of gesture like this and say, look, all I know is that the trajectory of your lives brings you into this room and you are merging right here, which is great, and you're in love. That's great. Um, But I'm concerned with where you, and I'll point to the uh, groom and where you are going and then bride uh, to be... uh, where you are going. And so, uh, and then I do this thing that is a little bit uh, disconcerting to them. I say, I'm not sure if we're, we're seeing sort of this or we're seeing this. And that gets their attention. Uh, and uh, trajectory is an amazing word uh, because I think it relates directly to what Solomon experienced in his life. And as a wise person, he is looking back on his life, and he is seeing the trajectory of, of wealth accumulation, of the desire to have money and to go after money, and what that does to someone. And uh, it can start early in life. Uh, I think it's Warren Buffett who started early in life as a little, little kid figuring out loving numbers, loving how to multiply things and um, uh, make money, obviously, in life. And uh, so as we think about this rather sensitive subject, uh, a subject that the church, in a general way, hasn't done well with, I don't think, um, and I would ask that we would pause, and would you join me in prayer? And let's, let's ask our God to, to be with us in this. Father, I pray that uh, the trajectory of our lives will be straightened out Uh, in light of this uh, passage, in light of the power that only you can provide. Thank you for uh, the word of God, and may you truly uh, pierce our hearts with the truth of your good kindness in Jesus. Help us find Christ in this this wisdom literature, and uh, to the end that we would uh, rejoice more greatly in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, um, so Solomon is our, our tour guide through uh, the pleasures of life, warning us. He is an evangelist, and evangelists have sermons, they have messages, they come at you, they have zeal, they've got power, and he's an evangelist. He's experienced everything in life, 
everything in life, and he's coming at you, and he's saying, wait, pause, let me get your attention. And he does it in a number of ways in this particular passage uh, that are even, some of them are even disturbing. But let me give you just a quick outline. I can't, there's a lot of verses here. I can't cover everything in, in, all, these, in all the details of these verses. But here's what I would like to, you to get uh, from this morning. First of all, enjoying life is harder. Enjoying life is harder than you think. Uh, secondly, loving wealth is a soul-threatening quest. And then thirdly, finding contentment expresses true wisdom. And so let's uh, just unpack this. Uh, loving, uh, excuse me, enjoying life is harder than you think. Uh, look at verse 1 of chapter 6. You'll see it there in your worship folder. It's about, about uh, two-thirds of the way down on the sheet there. And uh, it actually starts with the verse, it actually says 6 in a very, very small font. Uh, but that's actually verse 1 of uh, chapter 6. And look at the, listen to these amazing words in chapter 6, verse 1. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. He sounds like someone from the 60s, doesn't he? Right? Heavy man. Here it is, look at verse 2. A man to whom God gives wealth, he's got my attention, possessions, and honor. Well, wow, those are three beautiful things. So that he lacks nothing of all that he desires... Wow, that's tremendous. I'm, I'm interested. Look at ver- now, Watch how it continues. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. Uh, the irony is that someone who has labored so hard for this status in life, for these possessions, someone comes along and, and enjoys uh, all that this other guy worked for. Uh, Solomon is very cynical about life, and he says that this truth lies heavy on mankind. Every culture... Every society is observing this. Uh, People are chasing wealth. They're chasing possessions. They're uh, in search of what I call the magic it. You've already got a nice house, beautiful little spot somewhere in the world, but you're sure that a vacation house is going to do it for you. Uh, You've already got uh, four vehicles, but it's that fifth vehicle that's going to really do it for you. In other words, there's this ongoing search for the magic it, particular for uh, particular two affluent uh, societies are really restless and not content. And and, uh, Solomon says, I've seen this. It's a heavy thing. It's it's really, really heavy. It's a heavy truth. It's hard for people to grasp. You got everything. You can't enjoy it. Happiness is, (laughs) is harder than you think. And this is why Ecclesiastes is so important for our generation, for um, our, our society. Uh, and if you're not a Christian here today and you've experienced these things, um, this, this may help you understand how you have been made for so much more than just acquiring things and just owning stuff. These are people who are envied. They don't lack anything. But the one thing they do lack is they lack the the power to enjoy things. The power to enjoy things. The power to enjoy is not in the things. You can't enjoy the stuff that you have, the honor or uh, prestige you have in your job. You cannot enjoy your status in life unless God is granting you the joy of it. Happiness is harder than you think. Meaning that the happiness that we're after, God has, God holds, and God will dispense as he will. That's hard for us to admit. How can that be possible? 
you preacher, tell me that this can't be real. Are you telling me that if I don't have a nice, wonderful beach cottage, beach house, a uh, beautiful part on the island here, and I don't have uh, all that I would really want, you're saying that I couldn't enjoy it? It's really interesting that as we look at uh, even, well, I'm not going to go to the celebrity world, which I do every week. Um, as we look at this world of, of, of affluence, where Americans in particular, perhaps the top 2% of the world, our happiness quotient, our happiness experience, we have to admit that we are not a happy people. You don't have to even believe the scriptures to acknowledge that there is almost no correlation between one's possessions and uh, the amount of money in their portfolio and happiness. It just isn't possible. Uh, it just doesn't correlate. We, we saw this. Um, it's really interesting to take uh, suburban kids in California down across the border in Mexico and go into uh, p- places of just really sad poverty, and, and you're, you're, you're in, on some back uh, dirt alley kicking a, 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 de- a deflated soccer ball because that's the only ball that they had, and you're, you're kicking a ball with little children, and they are squealing happy. They are absolutely amazed with, 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 with the joy of, of what they're going through and what they're experiencing. In other words, as we bring these suburban kids out of their squeaky clean houses and into this, this, this very hard place to, to be, they would see great joy and, a, and an ability to enjoy life. And it had nothing to do with possessions. Very, very interesting. And some of you are growing older, and you are beginning wiser, and you're starting to realize that the, the next best, newest thing, um, well, it may not actually do what it promises. Behind every, prom, every, behind, every, behind every purchase is a promise. And if you don't know that, there's an advertiser who will help you with it. <laughs> behind every purchase is a promise. What will it, what will it bring to you? And we're, we're told that, that a laundry detergent will change our lives. So Americans are really uh, gullible. We're really gullible. And the other truth about Americans is that we are really restless. And uh, a Frenchman, uh, Alex de Tocqueville, wrote a book called Democracy in America. And back in the mid-1800s, he went around and observing these amazing, this amazing experiment called America. And in the, middle, in the Midwest, he went to these towns. This is a Frenchman. He's a historian, kind of a sociologist. And he goes to these towns, and he observes Americans in the mid-1800s, and they've built a house, they live in it for four years, and they sell it. You don't do this in Europe. And they would move from town to town. There was this restlessness that he records in his book about Americans in particular. Happiness is harder than you think. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 18. Uh, and here it is. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting, and this is, this is good, is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. In other words, you can accept the things that you, you get. Uh, it's, it, it's not uh, a fancy dinner. It's a, it's a peanut butter sandwich tonight. Okay, I can accept this. Verse 19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them. There it is. And to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. Interesting, isn't it? 
Rejoicing and finding satisfaction is not something you can do in and of yourself. Happiness is harder than you think. And one of the, one of the key reasons for us uh, in particular in this, this time we live is there is this impulse for more and impatience, a dissatisfaction. We call it a restlessness. And, of course, uh, back in the 4th century, Augustine nailed it when he said, You have made us for yourself, speaking of God, but our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And that's the core issue of, the, of humanity, that we can't rest. And Blaise Pascal uh, put it this way. He said that uh, the problem with mankind is that a, an individual cannot sit in a room uh, and be content. Uh, that's the way Pascal put it, the same, same idea. And so uh, the second idea here is that loving wealth is a soul-threatening quest, And uh, this is going to be from verses 10 through 17. Loving wealth is a soul-threatening quest. Uh, Let me ask you just a few uh, questions to get us started here. Um, Are you able uh, to rest? Are you able to rest? Secondly, uh, do you have the ability to receive from God what comes your way, and are you content? And then one other question. Do you enjoy your current status in life? If you could answer yes to some of those questions, then then you are enjoying your lot in life. You are receiving from God uh, your your place in life, and you're able to enjoy life. Solomon is an evangelist for the truth that enjoyment in life is a gift from God, and life is meaningless. Without God's intervention. Uh, and so uh, this is the, the, the flow of this next passage is really quite remarkable. Because what we would do in this, in this scenario today is we would be describing someone who is very close to clinical depression. I want you to follow me in verse 10. Loving wealth is a soul-threatening quest. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity, and here's how it works. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. In other words, a a farmer who had a small farm with maybe five uh, employees, something manageable. When When goods increase, they increase who eat them. Now 500 employees are dependent on your farm. And whatever advantage has their owner, uh, but to see them, excuse me, what, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner, but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he, is, he eats little or much, but the, stomach of, the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Now we're starting to see that a person who um, has no trouble with what they can eat at night, or, or no trouble... Uh, what they put on their plate. This person now has an abundance, but what they don't get is basic sleep. A, a statement in verse 10 of how you will not be satisfied with money. And then uh, this idea that when a business increases, so are the mouths that uh, increase, that, that feed off that business. And then sleep is an indicator of the blessed life. And then verses 13 through 17 really sound like the book of Job. Sounds very much like the book of Job. There is a grievous evil 
that I have seen. Look at verse 13. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And he, and he came from his mother's womb. As he came from his mother's womb, so shall he go again. Naked as he came, and, so, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and in anger. Solomon is describing something that's really, really serious that accompanies someone who acquires much. What he's saying is that the person becomes relationally isolated. They eat in darkness and they're all alone. They have acquired much. They don't enjoy it. They are deprived of some of the just simple joys of life. And then you have this echoing of the book of Job. And naked as you came into the world, and so naked you will leave. And you don't really take anything with you. Uh, and, and so this, this wisdom that Solomon wants us to, to, to grasp onto is that what we would normally think of as the blessed person the person with the biggest portfolio, the person with the most influence, the person with the most status, what we would think is, well, that makes sense. You've got a lot of money. You've got power. And it would make sense that that's a blessing. And what Solomon is driving at is not necessarily. And this is really, really hard for us to believe. And it sounds sort of like a preacher trick up, up front to get people to give to the church or something, right? It's like, well, you just hammer away at wealth and, and tell us not to pursue these things and, and sort of moralistically kind of control the crowd. Solomon is pleading. He is pleading that people would grasp and understand that it's not so simple as just acquiring things and gaining wealth. It's not so simple. And he says it's a grievous evil that the person, the rich man, held on to his riches, but they are lost in a bad, adventure, bad venture. Essentially, the rich man is vulnerable. And he can, he can leave nothing to his family. The possibility is he can leave nothing to his own son. And his son could be born into poverty, and that's how quick things can change. And then I love how the King James puts it. It says, all his days he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Listen to that. What it is is that in, uh, the rich man could be eating in a well-lit room, but in his countenance, in his heart, it's dark and it's gloomy. Uh, he eats alone and finds no pleasure in his food. And he is in much vexation, meaning much turmoil, anger. And the, the King James, uh, much wrath with his sickness. Food is to be a communal event, but he sits in darkness. There's no joy. Solomon is very familiar with the dehumanizing idols of wealth. 
You see, what, what's happened to this person is they have become less than human because they have given themselves over to an idol. And what happens in that process is we become like the very idol that we have bowed down to. Americans still resist this in particular. We say, that just can't be true. It can't be right. Still in search of the magic it. Fill this, uh, fill the blank. If, if I'm going to give you a fill in the blank uh, statement here, and, and you fill it in with something that comes to mind. And here it is. This is evidence that I, that I am really living. Fill in the blank. This is evidence that I'm really living. I'm living large. What comes to mind? And at that point, we've all got to be very brutally honest with ourselves to ask, is it working for us? It's a Dr. Phil question. Is it working? What do you see as as the end result of this drivenness in your life. Soren Kierkegaard uh, observed despair in a largely Christian culture in, uh, in the Netherlands. And he writes this, In the end, therefore, money will be the only thing people will desire, which is moreover only representative and an abstraction. Nowadays, a young man hardly envies anyone his gifts, his art, the love of a beautiful girl, or his fame. He only envies him his money. Give me money, he will say, and I am saved. He would die for nothing to reproach himself with, and under the impression that if only he had had money, he might really have lived and might even have achieved Something great. <laughs> Psalm 1611. You have, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Acts 2.28. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. First Chronicles. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Solomon is preaching to us. Don't let the trajectory of your life be the consumption of wealth. It will dehumanize you. So what is the trajectory of your life? It starts early. It can start when you're 14. Uh, continues on when you're 24 and 34 and 44. The trajectory continues. Uh, people in their 50s are just as restless as those in their 20s. The trajectory needs serious adjustment. In the language of Solomon, this lies heavy with mankind. What lies heavy? We start learning. We start observing that I don't think it works. We don't talk about it. We don't say it, uh, a lot about it. It doesn't make it on talk shows, and there aren't many magazines about it. But it's not working. It's not bringing me the fulfillment. It's not working. It's just not working. And God holds the enjoyment of everything we experience. And so uh, it goes on here. In fact, Solomon is really, really graphic in his uh, illustrative attempts to wake us up. 
Uh, he's saying it is a deeply disturbing thing that wealth doesn't work. You mean someone has been given everything and they've been given long days and they have the possibility of just a deeply rich life and they don't experience it? And then he uses a very disturbing illustration of of that kind of sadness and that kind of, of darkness. And he says in chapter 6, uh, excuse me, he says, uh, he, says, um, he says it would be, uh, let me find my place here. Um, he says it would be better that a stillborn child is better off than he Look at verse 4. A stillborn comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Verse 5. It hasn't seen the sun or known anything, yet it, it finds rest rather than he. It's a graphic and very hard illustration, but what he's saying is, is that if we're looking at rest, a child that doesn't enter into this turmoil of life is better than he. The terrible fact and terrible uh, truth is that to have experienced so much in life and to not enter into the pleasure of it is a tragic thing. And it doesn't bring rest that is so desperately needed. So there is this heart condition that the scriptures address. Uh, we, are, we are messed up. And it's extremely difficult for us to be sober with this condition of ours. And uh, we are, are easily distracted by our own pursuits and convinced that we will find the magic it. God, in his mercy, uh, looks down upon us and sees us as restless, and he doesn't leave us in this restless condition. One of the most restless individuals we find in the Bible is Saul of Tarsus. He shows up in Acts chapter 7, and he is really impatient with these Christians. He doesn't like them. He's self-righteous, and he has murder on his mind, and he goes after these Christians and persecutes them. God, in his mercy, knocks Saul of Tarsus off his donkey on the way to Damascus and begins a process of teaching him to, to rest in Christ. And Saul of Tarsus is this beautiful illustration of a man who was in deep misery that God had compassion on. Lastly, I'd like to just say that finding contentment expresses true wisdom. Philippians 4.10, we hear these words, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. The Philippians have provided a, an offering for Paul and his work. And not that, I have, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Look at verse 12. I know how to be brought low and know how to, be, to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This restless heart has found 
that even in abundance or going without abundance, he has found the secret of being content. And the key is, I, have, I can do all things through Christ or through him who strengthens me. So, we need our trajectory changed. We need it adjusted. We will not do it uh, by ourselves. God, in his sovereign mercy, will come and change us. But what he does is he changes us by showing us the trajectory of his son. The son of God, the eternal God the son, was enjoying the splendor of glory and came in a trajectory down to this earth. He came in poverty. Uh, He came willing to become poor that we might become rich. How did Paul, we, we knew him as Saul of Tarsus, how did he become content? He spent time dwelling upon the riches that he enjoyed through Jesus Christ. God's stance toward us is that we might be truly able to enjoy our riches. The rich man of Ecclesiastes 5 and 6 can't enjoy his riches. God, in his kindness, has made you with the ability to enjoy your riches that are in Christ. The riches of reconciliation, Romans 5, while we were enemies with God, we received the reconciliation of God through the death of his son. The riches of sacrifice, Revelation 5, tells us that Christ was slain and he was ransomed for God's people. The riches of redemption, that we were purchased and redeemed from the curse of the law. The riches of justification, that he shall bear their iniquities, Isaiah 53. The riches of Christ, our victor over our enemies, death is swallowed up in victory, 1 Corinthians 15. In all these areas, Christ has made you rich. Christ has made you the victor. Christ has seated you in the heavenlies. You now, by dwelling on these things, reflecting on them, starting your day with them, remembering them, you now have the ability to enjoy your riches. And it's from this deep enjoyment we now serve our God. We're part of his mission. We, we are part of joining him in mission. We now live satisfied but serving him. People around you, people who work next door to you at the office, are deeply aware of their discontent and their lack of enjoyment. It's increasing. It's a restlessness they can't get rid of. They are there for a reason. And they need to talk to someone like you, where God was gracious to cure and deal with your restlessness. You see, it lies heavy on them that even the wealthy can't be happy. And that heaviness, God owned. That heaviness, God took upon himself. That kind of sorrow, God was willing to have his son bear, that we might truly enjoy the riches of his grace and say with Paul what I find that in whatever circumstances I'm in, I am content. You're among fellow strugglers who don't get that right, but we're here to say, Lord, we want to learn and grow in it. 
Uh, if you're not a believer here today, you, you haven't trusted Christ and you have lots of questions, I hope that today and God's word will have shown you that your condition is understood by the scriptures and Christ came uh, for people like you and for people like us who are in this struggling condition. Uh, may God's grace empower you to live uh, uh, in the truth uh, and the joy of these riches. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your coming after our restlessness. Father, I hope that you will show us how rich we are, uh, that we would look upon our community, those we work with, our neighbors, and see that you have quenched this restlessness within us, and now you've given us a, a task and a joy to express it to others, to tell others. Thank you, Lord, for... Uh, this hard passage that tells us of what your son took upon himself to do. We thank you that you came. You came after us. You loved us. In Christ's name, amen.